All right. Final episode of the regular season series, January 11th. We've got Mr. Sean Pendergast from Sports Radio 610 joining us. Sean, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How you doing, Cap? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. You know, finally made it through what well, was kind of a rough season. Had some high points, a lot of low points, but, you know, we made it through okay. And, uh, you know, now we just get the probably a more interesting timeline ahead of us for the next two or three days and leading up to free agency and the draft. So it's kind of be a very exciting time for, for Texans fans. And, you know, for me, especially, this is part of the year where I really kind of dive in pretty heavy. So really excited for all that coming up. Um, so folks, you know, like I said, we get, you know, if you want to get your questions in, we'll try to get to what we can tonight. Uh, we're going to work on a slightly abbreviated schedule. Uh, Sean's got to bolt out a little bit earlier, but we'll, uh, try to get to what we can. So we'll just probably, I'm probably not going to cover too much of the game. Kind of got some other, uh, talking points that I think are probably going to be a little more of interest, but just if, if you have any thoughts on the, on the game, Sean, um, you know, happy to see what your thoughts were on it. I mean, it was definitely a tale of two halves, definitely a huge dramatic adjustment by by kelly and and pep and and by the coaching staff on what we saw from the first half to the second half and up tempo and got to see davis mills thrive again and that part was exciting but uh do you have any specific thoughts on the game that you want to cover yeah i think well i think you know just the i think the theme for the last five games was davis mills you know and i think i I was really happy uh, especially after the first half that was not not that great. That first half looked a lot like a lot of the games from the first six games he started this year. Um, I was glad that the last couple quarters that we saw from him heading into the offseason looked, uh, looked the way that they did. Um, I think it's really interesting that he put together maybe his six best quarters of football without Brandon Cooks, uh, the Charger game that they won back in Week 16, and then the second half of the game on – um, of the game on Sunday. Uh, you know, I thought that was really encouraging. Um, he was on the post game show with us, Davis Mills, and he actually acknowledged that there's times where they find themselves kind of force feeding Brandon Cooks the football. Um, and he wasn't implying that they're better off without Brandon Cooks on the field. But I think that's the thing that's that, that's the thing that's most impressive to me is those six quarters that he played without Brandon Cooks because we remember what it would be like with DeAndre Hopkins when he would be the only guy on the field because of either injuries or whatever, or the other team would take him away, how the offense would struggle. Um, Davis Mills kind of spreading the ball around. Nico Collins making some plays. I'm really excited about the rookie class, and you're right. This is it's going to be a lot – it's going to be a fun few months, man. I mean, between a, a pending coaching search, which if it happens, I don't know how long that's going to – I don't think that one's going to take too long. Um, but it did, did Sean Watson trade and the draft and free agency. Like, this is – I almost feel like the regular season is the was the preseason to what is for Texan fans is going to be you know this upcoming next three months feels like the regular season for this team where they are right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a perfect way to put it. I mean it it was the start start of the rebuild, not quite the the path that many fans was expecting from the team, and now to finally get back a first round pick, second round pick, maybe more coming down the line, and I think mm-hmm. you know that part you know really we'll really get to see how Casario operates and what he values and how he values positions and contracts. And I just think we're going to really see the, the meat of the meat of the show going forward in the rebuild. So yeah. And, and on Davis mills, just, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty clear at this point for me that, 
he he should be QB one at the start of twenty twenty two at the start of training camp, and that's about the only assurance that that he's going to have at this point. I mean, you definitely can't avoid not investing in the position, whether that's another another strong veteran quarterback or you draft another one or whatever it may be. But you know, I, I'm excited for I'm excited for what we're seeing. It's uh it's promising, but you know, there's still a long ways to go for him. I, I'm more, I'm more concerned about changes in the coaching staff affecting his yeah. and affecting his growth based on what we've seen with, with his work with Pep Hamilton so far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously Pep getting interest from other teams is, is significant. Um, I think a lot of people would like to see Pep be, you know, given the, the OC title here and we'll see, I would be fine. I would be fine with that. I'm not as, uh, you know, just in thinking it through cap, I'm not as, um, as concerned as I think others are about, Hey, if they blow out the staff or if, you know, Pep leaves and they still decide to move on from Tim Kelly, that this is somehow going to stunt Davis Mills growth. Like I have, I have a hard time. I have a hard time stumping to keep around coaches that oversaw an offense that was last in the NFL in so many significant things. You know what I mean? Like it's, the, the, you know, the, the, the evidence is, especially with Tim Kelly, is he's just not a great offensive coordinator. I know he wasn't handed the best, you know, dealt the best hand in terms of talent. But I just when you take a step back logically and go, OK, why are we asking to keep these guys around? Well, we're asking to keep these guys around because we somehow feel like that that losing coaches that oversaw overall a really bad rushing offense and for a lot of the year, just a bad offense overall, that somehow that somehow losing them is going to be detrimental to maybe bringing in better coaches going and actually getting some talent to put around Davis Mills. I don't know. And I feel like too Davis Mills IQ. I mean, he's a smart guy. He's, I, I think the fact that he, he could really see during the year that he, he didn't make a lot of the same mistakes over and over and over again. You know, I was there at every practice and training camp. I know you were at training camp as well. He would have horrible practices at training camp and then come back the next practice or two and he would be eliminating a lot of the mistakes that he made. I think he's really tough, but I think he's smart. And I think that's, you know, part of your, you know, part of where you get some efficiency out of a guy like Davis Mills is he's intelligent enough. You would hope that if you do bring in better coaches than Tim Kelly and Pep Hamilton, um, you know, certainly if you, if you get rid of David Cully, there's going to be a lot of changes to the staff. You would think that, Davis Mills just sheer football acumen is something that allows you to go ahead and do that and not have to keep Tim Kelly around for the sake of keeping Tim Kelly around for the sake of continuity. So it's going to be a really interesting next, it's going to be an interesting next few days. And then beyond that, my hunch is it's from there, it's going to be a very interesting next few weeks as far as the coaching staff goes. Yeah. And speaking on, on Papia, we, we saw, I think this morning that Carolina's showing some interest in him for their, offensive coordinator open position mm-hmm. i don't know just kind of asking around it almost seems like pep is gone regardless I, i'm just i from, yeah. what, from what i hear it just sounds like he's not going to be back and you know and you make a good point and you know we we got to give credit david i mean we, there's some credit to the coaching but like you said you raised a good point that the offense still was bad but maybe we just need to give more credit to davis mills and his growth yeah. on his own versus versus what the coaching staff did for him and so you know, that's something that's a great point that you bring up. I think people just need to focus on him and just keep yeah. surrounding him with the talent, surrounding him with good coaches, whether it's Pep or somebody else. And, you know, and speaking of David Coley, I kind of just want to get your your 
gut initial reaction? Do you, do you think he's gone or you think he's here? Uh, I think, I think he's gone as my gut. Um, well, I put it this way. I mean, I think they want to move on from David Cully. I, I don't think this is, you know, I don't think this process they're going through is something where they're, they arrive at a decision to fire David Cully. And then they go through the same process they went through last year that led to David Cully. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't think they fired David Cully and then they go call up Corn Ferry and get a search firm and gather a list of candidates. Like, I don't think the Texans coaching search is going to look the same as like what the Jags are doing right now or what the Broncos are doing right now. Like you can go through some of these interview trackers on like CBSSports.com has an interview tracker for all these open coach and GM positions. And there's like 10 names listed under a few of these jobs. I don't sense that it's going to be that with the Texans. There seems to be a lot of, my, my gut tells me there's a lot of specificity with what they're doing right now. Um, you know, with, with names that I think we can, you know, we can all ascertain who they are, you know, Brian Flores, uh, Gerard Mayo, uh, you know, Josh McDaniels doesn't seem to have as much smoke this time around. Um, but you know, clearly that's a name that's gotta be in the mix. So I, I think there's, it's, you know, it's ironic. Uh, I was thinking about this today cap is that this is, this is a lot like when Brian Gain got fired and he got fired specifically so they could ironically, so they could go after Nick Casario but back then they 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 went they fired Gain before and yeah <laughs> then 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 you know got caught with they the learned alleged their, they learned their lesson <laughs> yeah yeah exactly they they you know Casario they learned ironically learned their lesson from the pursuit of the guy who is conducting this potential search now um, I you know it's just crazy like I like if they don't move on from Cully I almost feel like David Cully is like the only coach in the NFL that would just happily come back to this situation and exactly. coach with a smile on his exactly. face. Exactly. Somebody asked yeah. me that earlier. I was like, I, I I had asked around a few folks outside of Houston that I know, and pretty much the 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 thought or the the rumor or whatever you want to call it out there is, is Casario's calling his guy to see if he's ready to come on board or not. Yeah. And if he's not, if his now's not the time. Then he'll go back to Coley and, and a couple of my my buddy that I talked to a lot. He's like, "Why would Coley be okay with that?" I'm like, "Coley seems like the exact person that would be like, oh shucks, no problem. Let's keep going, you know, and yeah, and wouldn't have <laughs> any problem with it whatsoever." Yeah, I mean, you heard the answer he gave at the end of the press conference. I guess it was yesterday, right? God, it's been a long 24 hours, but I think it was yesterday, his Monday press conference, and he's like. You know, people feel sorry for me, man. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm the coach of the Houston Texans. What could be better than that? And I'm thinking, well, I don't know, being coach of like 29 other teams, according to the draft board that I'm looking at. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it, yeah, I mean, it based on the, you know, your your interview with Casario got postponed. His his, yeah. uh, his presser with the media that was never formally announced got postponed. And then, right. so it, it's clear that, it's on the table for whether Coley's here or not. And it's pretty clear, at least to me and to the folks I've talked to that he's making phone calls to see if his guy is ready to come on board or not. I don't think it's Flores. I, I know there's been a lot of, especially with his firing this morning. I don't think there's really much of a connection there to be made. And I don't think it's McDaniels. I, I, I tweeted it. I think yesterday I'd, I've been sitting on it for like a month. I feel like it's Gerard Mayo or break mm-hmm. or nothing. And, mm-hmm. and I say that, and there's a couple of tea leaves to it. I mean, you know, McDaniel's is is rep by Athletes First, and his agent, from what I hear, doesn't have any interest for McDaniel's to come to Houston. Brian Flores mm-hmm. is rep by the same agency, a different 
agent, but the same agency. And I would suspect that same opinion would kind of carry over to Flores. So, you know, when I, when I hear all those things, it just makes me think that that's not gonna, that's not where the direction that Casario is looking Flores, you know, I read that Miami Herald piece today and it, you know, it was a bit one-sided, but it really painted a picture of a, yeah. of a, another version of Bill O'Brien, in my opinion, you yeah. know, very controlling yeah. needed, needed specific. And that's, I, I just don't envision that's somebody that Nick would want to, to bring in at this point. Well, I, I don't envision being somebody Cal McNair would want to bring in. If yeah. you want to know the truth, I, like, I think, um, I, I read the same piece that you did about Flores as I'm reading, as I'm reading this. I mean, I think a big reason why David Cully got hired was his demeanor and his ability to work with others and his ability to just his ability to be somebody that people actually want to show up the building and work with every day. I think by the end with Bill, it was the complete opposite of that. And I think that, I think that grinded on people. It pervaded the entire organization vertically and horizontally. And not the least of which I think was the McNairs. So I just have a hard time believing that one year after getting that sort of element, that toxicity out of the building, that they would bring it right back in again. Like you said, I, I, I thought the same thing. I'm like, all right, I'm going to take this with a grain of salt. They're talk, you know, this whoever wrote this talked to a bunch of people that that shared the same opinion of Brian Flores. I, you know, purely from a purely from an accomplishment standpoint, my guess is like Brian Flores probably coached the Dolphins each of those three seasons to the over on his win total in Vegas. You know what I mean? Like if we're if we're using expectations as sort of a barometer, I, I mean, I guarantee you the five wins he got the year they were tanking for Tua was more than what Vegas had him for. They were probably like three and a half, four wins like the Texans were this year. Yep. They went ten and they went ten and six last year. I guarantee you their total in Vegas coming off of five and eleven was not ten. I'm sure it was six or seven. And then Mike, and I know this year, just from because it's the most recent, I remember their total was like seven and a half or eight, and they won nine. So, you know, theoretically, you know, if we use Vegas as sort of a barometer, he's he's overachieved in each of those three seasons. But yeah, that was a that that piece that piece had a lot of uh, had a lot of elements to it that I'm going, man, I just this just doesn't feel like. I'd put it this way. This feels like something if they bring Brian Flores in, then, then, then it would feel like almost like Nick and Jack have just taken over the entire building, you know, which they may very well have, but this, (laughs) that would be, that would be like a real tell that like, okay, these guys are just, you know, they're, 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 it's, it's 100% their show and they're just, they're steamrolling over everybody. Yeah. And I, the one other thing I wanted to say on Gerard Mayo and it, talking to the same person that was talking, you know, he's up on the mm-hmm. East coast. He, he said the the feedback he gets from his contacts is Gerard Mayo's energy and attitude is infectious. And, yeah. And he's a, he's just got a excellent leadership, excellent culture. And it, it almost sounds like Coley 2.0 with hopefully better in game management type, you know, type skills. Yeah. And so, you know, if that's if that's the route that the team goes, you know, you know, we'll 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 plug along with it. And if you know if Mayo's not ready to come over or, or whoever it may be, I, you know, it's just a speculation on my point with Mayo. But yeah, you know, we'll see if he doesn't if he, if Casario doesn't get the answer he gets, and it sounds like they'll just turn back to Coley and and go over year two. And you know, if things yeah. if things don't work out, they don't work out. If they don't work out mid season next year, Lovey Smith is an excellent. Uh, interim coach option. Interim, yeah. So I mean, it, they they've got a path forward one way or the other. 
So, well, quick, we were, yeah. hey, real quick, just real quick mention, um, you know, we were supposed to have Casario on tomorrow at 730. Um, as you mentioned, we, we had to postpone that. We're going to get him on the day after they announce whatever it is they announce, you know, whether it's firing Cully or keeping Cully. Um, but we are going to have at 730 tomorrow Ted Johnson on who, you know, I mean, you remember Ted, my yep. old co-host, yep. he's up in Boston now. So he's going to come on with us and we'll get some real insight into uh, Gerard Mayo you know, from t- Ted's covering the Patriots up there on TV and on the radio. So, um, you know, he's, he's pretty, he's pretty plugged in. So, uh, if you want to get more insight on Gerard Mayo, seven thirty tomorrow on our show, we'll have Ted on. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'll yeah. be, that's a, my drive time. So we've talked about that before. Yeah. Um, so, and speaking on Miami, so we, with Flores being fired and then, so that kind of just brings us to the question on Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of speculation out there of who was the driving force for Watson. You know, there's folks that said Flores was on the Watson train. You know, we, we know Steven Ross is, was wanted wanting Deshaun Watson over there. And okay. then reports were Greer who ended up winning this power struggle was against bringing in Watson. And then I start seeing pieces, you know, later in the day that no, no, no Flores didn't want Watson. So I really don't know what to believe, but, the main concern, the main question is now is does this affect Watson and does he still want to go to Miami? Is it just a football related decision and are there external factors that are driving him to Miami? We, we don't know that, but I do wonder if this has him reevaluating Miami as an option and does it open up new, does he open up other team options for him going forward, especially with all these head coach shakeups we got going on across the league. It's got to impact Miami as a destination for him one way or the other. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's, and it can be both. Like it, it could be now that Deshaun Watson is not as hot to trot for Miami without Flores there. And it could be now that Flores is gone, that Greer, Chris Greer, the general manager, you know, that he's now more firmly in control. I, I think at the very least, if Deshaun were evalu- still, still had Miami on his list of teams, and I would think he would still have it on his list of teams, just more with a wait and see attitude to see who they bring in as the head coach there as you touched on earlier you know Flores has uh you know shares agency with Deshaun so there's a commonality there so it would it would stand a reason that that uh Deshaun you know would have some some degree of connection I think it gets I my hope is that my hope for two reasons is that Miami is has at the very least been moved down onto his list down you know further down to where he'll welcome other trade suitors one because Miami does not have the optimal package to offer the Texans. Um, Whatever package they end up getting for Deshaun Watson, chances are the first round pick in the upcoming draft is going to be viewed as the key asset in that trade. You know, we'll see. I mean, some teams may offer players and things like that, but as far as draft capital goes, first round pick in the upcoming draft, just by definition is going to be, the key asset. Yeah. And, and Miami, San Francisco is where they're getting it from. So it, yeah, they made the playoffs. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and they might win a playoff game or two. So right now, if San Francisco loses this weekend, I think the pick will be number 22 in the draft. I mean, God forbid they win a game or two and, you know, one more game. And now you're picking 26, 27, something like that. Um, so, and, and that would be the key asset in the deal, man. I don't know. So, um, so, so number one, I just I, I want other teams in there because I think that because they you know there's just teams that have 
better assets to offer the Texans than Miami does. Um, number two, it would just be more fun for content and what we do, you know, talking about it's much more exactly. fun. Yeah. It's much more fun if you can openly speculate without trying to jam a square peg into a round hole about certain teams. Uh, it's, you know, it's just much more fun knowing that, Hey, maybe he would go there. Like I think about the giants today, firing Joe judge. Like I'm looking at everything that's happening with, I, to me, there's about 11 or 12 teams that you could cobble together a case that they should be calling Nick Casario about Deshaun Watson. The Giants are definitely – they were one of them even with Joe Judge just based on, you know, Daniel Jones is kind of at the same phase Sam Darnold was last year, you know, ready to move on from him, I would think. Um, you know, it's New York. It would theoretically be a place Deshaun would want to go. They have the fifth and the seventh pick in the draft, which would be incredible for the Texans if somehow you could wrangle just one of those picks, if not both of them, though, in a deal. Um, so when they fired Joe Judge today, you know, and you've got Dave Gettleman leaving – I'm thinking, okay, now let's look at this through a Deshaun prism. Wow, you know, now, you know, the someone was saying, well, what if they hired Rick Smith to be the GM there? You know, he drafted Deshaun. Uh, what if that's the place where the enemy winds up or Flores winds up there? You know, if, if there's that, if that connection is real, um, then maybe New York all of a sudden is a place that, that Deshaun would wave his no trade clause for. So I think that, that part to me, that's why I was, I, that's why I was I was kind of excited to see Miami winning all those football games after they played the Texans, which it's not like Tua was the reason they were winning those games. But at the very least, it looks like that winning streak might have snowed Chris Greer into thinking they're okay not trading for Deshaun Watson, which I'm perfectly fine with. Um, yeah, and quite honestly, the other reason why is, you know, like, screw you, Deshaun. Uh, you know, you don't get to totally dictate where you want to go. Like if Miami's out, you got to go find a list of three or four other teams. That's where I've always thought we would wind up with this cap is that we would wind up the no trade clause would factor in, but Deshaun would have to somehow play ball with the Texans to where he gives them a list of about, like say five teams and say, okay, one of these five teams, I'll, I'll go to any of these places, you know, go, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, he had a year of, being that power that player empowerment role and trying to really drive the narrative but i mean it's going on almost a year now at some point he's got to it just just from a gentleman aspect he's got to concede a little bit and start yeah. working with the team to facilitate a move cuz the city you know it's obvious at this point there's a few Deshaun fans still out there but for the for the most part it looks like the fan base is ready to move on the team yeah. i'm sure is ready to move on and with the you know having a clean draft coming up, I think majority of the fan base is ready to just let's get this over with, let's move on, let's get this out of our shadow and and get let's on get with our picks. lives. Yeah, let's get, get more picks. Yeah, more picks and you know? and so and and, the, and New York Giants. I mean, that's an interesting place. My only concern is is the owner there, John Mara, who is is about as as conservative as conservative can be. I mean, he was, yeah. he was the driver behind the the, the no taunting rule this year so and he's, yeah. uh, he's on the so I, I mean maybe he wouldn't care i don't know we'll see but you know we'll we'll see where that goes i just kind of want to get your opinion on that and it pretty much aligns yeah. with what i'm thinking is we're just hoping that this will kind of open things up and and kind of get the process moving along i mean obviously it all it all depends on his legal status and where things go in the next couple next four or five weeks on that well he's he's in uh as my wife pointed out to me earlier tonight she was on instagram and she was on uh, Jilly, his girlfriend's Instagram stories. They're in Switzerland right now, just chilling over there. So he's a, he doesn't seem to have a care in the world right now, man. And it's funny. It was funny. Uh, 
they 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 were putting up little uh, videos of their hotel room that they have over there, and it was a really nice hotel. And the staff there, you know, had it, it's her birthday, so they had all kinds of balloons and decorations in the hotel room, and you could see on the desk they didn't feature it prominently, but there was like a Houston Texans cookie or oh, something no. on the desk. Oh, yeah, no. they, yeah, they yeah. They, they weren't aware of what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, you could barely see it in the background, and then Sean clearly was not featuring it. So I don't take that as a sign for anything. But there's a reconciliation on the on the uh, on the agenda. I'll, I'll text you the picture when we're done. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't think a reconciliation is going to happen. I know some folks are, you know, we're we're wishing and hoping, but it, it's clear that his deal is with McNair's and and not with Casario and Coley. So right. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. So we'll we'll move off of Watson. I know we do have four requests in for questions. I got uh, one other okay. topic that I want to get Sean's thoughts on before we try to catch a couple questions before Sean heads out. So wanted to get your thoughts on who is the MVP for this team on offense, defense, and mm-hmm. and the rookie class. I've I've got my choices, but I was kind of curious who yours were for the offense, defense, and the rookie class. Yeah, I'm gonna say, you know, look, the easiest thing is to say easiest thing is the easiest thing is to say Brandon Cooks offensively, just because he's he's been their best player and he's he's the only one that put up something that is the semblance of you know, that if you look at the back of the football card, you know, that looks like a guy who, you know, would be in conversations about the Pro Bowl. But if it's not Cooks, I'm gonna say Davis Mills. Um you know, the the, the best stretch of football that they played as a team was with him under center. Uh, I think the improvement that he showed from the first chunk of games to the second chunk of games, granted with a different level of opponent, I mean, that was murderer's row that he was playing. But I think most of all, Cap, most valuable player, not just for what he did this year uh, on the field in those last five games, but for the kind of the position that it seems like he's put this team in heading into the offseason to where now they don't have to accentuate court. They don't have to reach on a quarterback. Um, they can they can really go into the draft looking to fortify the roster around him. And if they wind up with the head coach that they want, it's going to be in part because they feel like there might be a solution there at quarterback. I think if Davis Mills had gone out in those last five games and played the same way he did in the first six games, my guess is it's just they, they're, they roll with David Culley for another year. I think a significant part of why there may be some interest in this job is because it would appear like they might have something that you might have the most valuable asset that you can have on an NFL roster in Davis Mills, rookie quarterback on a third round contract. I mean, he's not even making seven figures. He's making the minimum each year after the signing bonus. Yeah. 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 So, so I think, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say Mills just to, uh, you know, just to do, to, to do something different than, than, uh, than Brandon cooks. Who's yours offensively? Oh man. I, I went the boring route. So I had Brandon cooks yeah. with a close runner up of, of Davis mills. Mm-hmm. What about defense? I know there's really uh, def- not much to say over there, but yeah, I would say defense, you know, um, if it was a month ago, I would have said Grenard, but he kind of slowed down as the, uh, he kind of slowed down as the season went on. Um, you know, stat sheet wise, Kamu is one that is 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 a is an interesting one. I thought he played well, but I you know this is where doing the show with Seth every day kind of smartens me up on <laughs> a guy who stuffs stuffs the stat sheet with a lot of crooked numbers. But you know, there's no there's no column on the stat sheet for plays where you run the wrong direction or you get completely waylaid by single blockers. You know what yeah, I mean? That yeah. kind of thing. Um, so I'm going to say on the on the defensive side of the ball. Oh boy, 
That's a tough one, man. I'm going to stay on the defensive side. You know who I'm going to go with? I'm going to go with Desmond King on the defensive side of the ball. Okay. How's that? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I look at if – if we're picking most valuable players, I got to look at the chunk of the season where they played their best football, and that was after the bye week. And that was after Desmond King had gotten benched. Um, and he was – he, you know, he was involved in, in you know, the, the, he, I think he had three or four picks after the bye week. I know at least three. Um, maybe more. He's the one corner that was able to stay on the field, <laughs> you know, whether it was COVID or injuries, things like that. When they were waylaid with all the COVID and things like that, he was actually still out there. Um, and I just thought he played pretty well. You know, forget about just the turnovers and the, the splash plays. Um, I just thought, generally speaking, Desmond King, you know, Desmond King played really solid football. There's no, there's no spectacular play. Like early in the season, I might have said Justin Reed, but Justin Reed kind of slowed down as the season went on and, and, and he went out for a little bit, obviously was benched at one point, as was Desmond King. So that's a tough one, but I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Desmond King. Who's yours? Tavier Thomas. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. He was he was very solid. He was just yeah. quietly quietly getting the work done over there in, in the slot yeah. corner and you know and ended up grading out very well with PFF and putting up just I mean it wasn't I mean he had the pick six obviously in the in the yeah. Chargers game, but it just it was one of those things where you, you go back after the game and you're like, I didn't hear his name come up and yeah. he, he wasn't targeted. And, you know, he just, he did his job and it was that with an honorable mention for John Grenard. And then the rookie class, yeah. this one's tough. This one's tough, tough, tough. What you got? Yeah. The, well, I mean, I just named Davis Mills, the, the MVP of the offense. So it's hard to, it's hard to not name him the most valuable rookie. Plus he plays quarterback. So I'll go, I'll do what I did with the offense and say, you know, like other than Brandon cooks with the offense, I'll say other than, other than, than Davis mills, I'm going to go, I'm, you know, I'm going to go, it's between Roy Lopez and Nico Collins for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Nico Collins just, uh, just based on the fact that he seemed to get better as the season went on. Um, the games where Brandon cooks went out, Nico Collins actually made some plays in the game. And I just feel, I, I feel really, really good about his trajectory, especially after hearing what, some of the veteran wide receivers, Cooks and Danny Amendola, were saying about him uh, the last couple of days. Um, you know, he's Nico Collins is somebody to me that if he played on a team with a just a you know a, a below, slightly below average offense as opposed to a horrible offense like the Texans have, I think he could have been a, you know a forty-five to fifty catch guy in a more pass-heavy offense uh, just based on his his just his, his sheer. Yeah, and he, talent missed, level. And he missed what four games, something like that. Four yeah, or five games. So, yeah, I mean, he, even even still, he had thirty three catches in this offense. So, yeah. um, so I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Nico Collins. I'm gonna go with Cess Boy. I'm gonna go with Roy Lopez, and and yeah. mainly just my driving factor for that one was is being a six six round pick and how quickly mm-hmm. how quickly he came on. It came on in training mm-hmm. camp, and he by week one he was heavy into the rotation on the mm-hmm. defensive line and continued all through, through pretty much the whole year. He was pretty solid mm-hmm. throughout the year. He, he flashed and, and really put up some good tape out there. So that's my guy with, with a very close second between Nico and, and Davis Mills. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. it was, I mean, it was a good draft class. It was exciting. You know, it's good to finally see the rookies out there playing, getting considerable snaps, regardless of the reason of why they were out there. And for the most part, you see an upward trajectory for, for majority, all of them. Yeah, for all the class. So that I like, yeah, like I, th- I feel good about, I feel good. You know, Brevin Jordan was a little up and down and he just, you know, he was not as consistent and it took him half the season to get on the field. 
but I, considering where they were all taken, I feel really good about all five of them. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see here. We'll try to catch a couple questions here. Uh, okay. Let's see here. We'll go with Ryan first, and then we'll get to uh, Court and Show and uh, Elias. Ryan, go ahead. go ahead, buddy. Take yourself off mute. Hey, Cap. How's it going? Going, man. What's up? Good. Um, Sean, my question is pretty much for you, and it's not really a Texans question per se, but more about um, – your guys' approach to radio this year. Yeah. I think this is your first year um, in Houston where the Texans kind of went into the season with no real expectations whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of wanted you to speak to the difference on how you approached the year and putting, you know, four hours a day, five days a week into a team, you know, talking about it compared to a team that, you know, where you can convince or speak to the point of them competing for the season. Yeah, it's a really good question. And uh, yeah, this is the first time they, they've had bad seasons before since I got back here to Houston to do radio, but they were all, they were all unexpected bad seasons. You know, they, they haven't had many like truly bad. Like 2013 was a horrible season, obviously, but they, they went into that season as a, as a, you know, a hopeful Super Bowl contender. And then 2017 Deshaun got hurt. And then last year, obviously they weren't expecting. So as far as like, as, as far as our approach to it, it was different going into the season, knowing that, really like breaking down the schedule and is this game the pivotal game like it it completely shifted our focus from the ebb and flow of the schedule which was a huge thing the year before right remember the first four games like boy if they don't get through these first four games then boy and look at the six of the first seven they're playing quarterbacks who won an mvp or who have been in the conversation for mvp like it's we were less schedule centric and opponent centric and much more big picture and really anything that had to do with games was more about the big picture than it was what it meant to the standings. It's you really, you find yourself. um, I was, I found myself much more and I'm a big college football fan, but I found myself watching college football differently this year. That might've been Ryan where the biggest change was for me. Wasn't so much in, in my work on game day with the Texans. I still did all the same things, on game day that I did, even when the team was, was, was good. You know, I take copious notes during the game. Um, sometimes I even post them on Facebook and Twitter and things like that. I didn't do as much of that this year, but I still, I still operate the same day, like during a game, but throughout the week, the storylines are much bigger picture storylines, um, forward looking beyond 2021 type storylines. And the biggest change for me is I found myself watching college football through a much different prism this year than I have over the last few years you know whereas normally i would just watch it out of enjoyment or because i've got money on some of the games this year i was watching it much more so with the idea of this guy could be a texan that guy could be a texan who are some guys that who are some middle round guys definitely watching all the quarterbacks um so that was probably the biggest change for me was it got me just i'm just to me it's just way more about the 2021 was just way more about 2022 if that makes sense all right. Ryan, you got anything else, bud? Nope, just Shauna. I love the show with you and Seth. I listen to it on the app. I live in North Dakota, so it kind of keeps me connected to following the Texans every day. So I just want to let you know I love your show, and thanks for taking my question. Oh, appreciate you, Ryan. Thanks for listening, man. All right. So we'll jump over here. We're going to get uh, Showtime, who's from Miami. He's uh, starting to catch up to the shows now. <laughs> show, what you got, man? 
Hey, Cap, uh, you guys said something interesting. Um, can you elaborate on uh, Flores and Watson being in the same agency? Yeah, so I think, so I know Flores is under Athletes First, which I think is a Mulligetta joint. It is. So, yeah, it's David Mulligan, yeah. Yeah, so I, they're, I know Flores has, like, you know, Josh McDaniels is a Athletes First guy, Flores is an Athletes First guy, and obviously Watson, but they have each individually different agents but they are under the same umbrella. So how that opinion of the team floats between the agents and, and how that works, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what the consensus is across, you know, if Mulligetta has certain driving opinions or directives down to his agents, but, you know, the fact of the matter is they all, they all are tied from an agent standpoint, which is a, in this league is a very big deal. Um, yeah, so. I, I think I, I think the biggest thing was that because that, that, that blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, I think the biggest the biggest thing with that Showtime is that they're when they have the same agent. Certainly, when they have the same agent because it's the same person. But when they're under that same umbrella, then there's a better chance they're all sort of singing off the same sheet of music. There, there's much. It's much easier to share information. Um, it's much easier to formulate opinions. Um, and, and gather information. It's just, it's a, it's a, it, for, for those involved, it's just a more efficient process because so much, so much flows through the agents really yeah, in every facet of, of, of what I know of what Cap talks about all the time. Because when you said that, I was like, they, that's like a level of tempering you can't even trace back. <laughs> that's right. And that's what I, I, I mean. Th- I think really deep about this stuff. So. Yeah. And that, I mean, if you, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, and, and some folks will, we'll tweet this stuff out, but the, the agency side of things have gotten very top heavy to where there's four or five agency groups that cover a large base of players and coaches. And we see it all the time on Twitter, this agency and this agency got bought by this agency or this agency is, and this agency is teaming up. And it's just, I mean, there's, like I said, it, it really is like, seven or eight not agent not specific agents but agencies as a whole that are probably covering 60 70 percent of the league players and so coaches. it's like so it's like a monopoly it's like uh yeah FPL. yeah yeah more or less but yeah i mean oh it, it's God. it's a driving factor man it's a it's a it's kind of an unsung uh, unspoken thing in a in a lot of circles you know sean covers that piece pretty well but some people forget about that piece of, of, of how just how the league works and how the information is delivered and flowed and shared between groups. And so I think that's just something to consider when we're talking about that kind of stuff. Yeah, that blew my mind. Uh, yeah. My second question is, uh, what, what are your plans for Laramie Tunzel? I can make an argument for both sides of that, of that puzzle. And my opinion at this point is the team should probably move on and the main reason for that is it it just didn't get I just didn't get the indication that he wanted to play this year and I understand it's a business decision and you know the team wasn't going anywhere so why put his body on the line for that but what was supposed to be a four or five week injury turned into what eight nine weeks and and then the team started coming up with different things to say or well he couldn't lift weights we couldn't figure out a i mean come on you can you can come up with a program for him to work out when he's got a when you see in photos of the team out in the community doing things he's got a soft cast on his hand yeah you're telling me he can't lift weights that is so that 
to me and and that, and, Col- and Coley let it slip. And I I, yeah. I truly believe that this was a a tongue. A, a, he did not mean to say this, and he shouldn't have said it when he said it was a personal decision. And to me, that told me everything I need to know. And for me, wow. that just you know the team just they're not they're going to get crappy return on it. Trust me, they're not going to yeah. get more than like a second round pick. Yeah, you know, and it's not going to be pretty. And the fans are like, "Man, we gave up a huge contract, two ones." And Let me ask contract. you: I, I have an interesting trade for you. Would you uh, swap straight up uh, Laramie Tunzel for Xavier Howard? No, 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 no. This team needs to get younger and and get yeah. and get and free up the cash and get rid of the contracts. Yeah. And Xavier Howard is a good cornerback, but when this by the time this team gets to be good and going where they need to go, Xavier uh-huh. Howard is not going to be the guy that you need out there. No, and Tunsil plays a position that ages better than cornerback does. Like if I'm gonna get, if, like if I, if 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 I'm of mind where the offers I'm getting are expensive veteran players, I'll just keep Tunsil before I do that. Um, I got a couple thoughts on the. I got a yeah, couple go thoughts on the the Tunsil thing. One, um, I yeah, like the excuses they were coming up with him. He's gone, in my opinion. Like I, I feel like his whole deal where he just hasn't played all year. Like they like. For the first two weeks after he got done with surgery, the excuse was he was getting fit for a, a, a cast. Like it took him like a week to find some sort of wrist thing to put on. And then, yeah, when have you ever heard of an NFL player can't get back on the field because he hasn't been able to lift weights? Like it's listen, man. I'm, guys, a, these, Sean, I'm a guys, Dolphins fan, and I, yeah. I had to do a, I had to do a Will Fuller his finger. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Will Fuller. I mean, Will Fuller is. He's like the operation wacky doctor game guy. Like he's just got injuries all over the place. But 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 as far as Tunsil goes, I've I said since he suffered the injury that I thought he had played his last. I said this back in October yep. that I thought he might have played his last down as a Texan. I think the fact that he hasn't played to me, I think there's almost like a soft version of what's going on with Deshaun Watson going on with Tunsil. Like he's too good to cut. He you can still get something for him. Um, Obviously, like I think you can get something decent for him. I'm with you, Cap. Like a second round pick sounds about right. Um, but I think he's gone. I think he wants to be gone. I don't think his overall vibe fits with the culture they're trying to do in the building there. I think there's a Hollywood element to Laramie Tunsil. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Right. Oh, and so, so, man. That's he's, crazy. So, he's big into fashion. He's big yeah. into a lot of extracurricular activities. And football is yeah. more of a thing like, yeah, I'm good at it, so I'm here. He, Right. Well, listen. If you guys push the narrative for him to come to Miami, I'll help. Okay. Well, <laughs> Our well, online is atrocious. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe you can give us that San Francisco pick, the twenty second <laughs> overall or whatever. We're gonna get that I, pick one way, one way I, or the other. I, I would give it up. Yeah. Right. Well, I think, I, and, and that that goes to my other thing about Tunsil. And by the way, Cap, I got a few extra minutes, so we don't have okay. to shut it down right okay, here. Okay. Thanks. Um, I, I I copped I copped a few winks before I jumped on. Okay. Um, so um. Uh, the other thing with Tunsil, this is what I said to Seth today. If we're talking about what can they get for Tunsil, like to me, just like if we're just looking at like the menu, like list price, for, like a second round pick feels about right. But what I want to watch in the playoffs, and we're trying to watch the playoffs through a Texans prism, watch the playoff teams and see which ones really struggle in pass protection. You know, oh, especially, on the, especially, especially on the edge. I don't think a team is going to trade – I don't think a non-playoff team is trading a first-round pick for Laramie Tunsil. Like he's he's a luxury, not a luxury item, but he's he's something you trade first-round draft capital if you feel like he's one of the last pieces you need to get there, or if you have a young court. The same reason the Texans traded for him with O'Brien. It's just they traded way too much, and they and 
they have just a much higher opinion of their team than what they actually were at the time. Like Bill, Bill O'Brien's mentality of why he traded for Tunsil is the right mentality for a team that actually is close to winning a Super Bowl and or has a young quarterback they need to protect. It just turns out the Texans weren't nearly as close to a Super Bowl and Bill O'Brien gave up way too much. But I would watch, you know, watch like Cincinnati or watch some of these other teams if they struggle protecting their young quarterback in the postseason. You know, maybe that's something that spurs them on to to take a look at, hey, instead of drafting a tackle, we're ready to win now. I know he's expensive, but let's, hey, man, we're picking 27th or whatever. Let's go trade that 27th pick for And maybe it's, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's Laramie, Laramie Tunsil and a third, you know, for a first round pick, that kind of thing. I, uh, I would, I would, this is probably a little crazy, but. I would rather have the 2023 first versus pick 27 or 28 just because mm-hmm. of the variance and the chances that that could pick be team, could be in the team. Yeah. That, that team yeah. falls off and that ends yep. up being pick 14, like say like the Seattle and the, the New York jets deal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah or yeah. the Texans for that matter, when they traded for Tunsil, they didn't expect that pick to be that high up. So right. I would rather just take, the future one, if that's on the table versus a, a second round pick. So I'm cool with that too. Yeah, yeah. I'm cool with that. But any, any way you can find your way into a first round pick for Tunsil, like if anyway, like, and I'm with you, like if they, if somebody called up and said, we'll give you our 2023 first for Tunsil done, I'll drive him to the airport. Yep. All right. Show you got anything else, man, before we could move on? Uh, no, thanks, man. I don't want to hog the mic. Uh, you know, All right. I can't wait for you guys to do this stuff again. All right. Appreciate thanks it. buddy. Appreciate it. All right, peace. All right, so we'll jump over to Elias has been uh, holding the longest. Says connecting. Elias. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, great. Hey, um, uh, I have a question about the Texas Rangers. In no, uh... no, <laughs> get booted from the room for that. <laughs> um, no, but uh. <laughs> Corey Seager uh, sucks. Oh. He does not. No. Okay. Let's no. go. <laughs> um, joking. Go ahead. Yeah. But uh, um, actually, I have a question about um, g- given I've been you know watching closely the um, MLB you know uh, negotiations, the lead up to when they're eventually going to negotiate blah blah. blah. But um, I was kind of wondering um, just what makes um, the NFLPA so much more different from, and what makes their negotiating leverage so much different than uh, um, the MLBPA. It seems like. From to the untrained eye, it seems like the uh, MLBPA is just significantly more powerful, which doesn't make sense to me necessarily. Given like, you know, you think about a lot of uh, you know NFL players at least have some college, and um, they're not relying on uh, like you know a lot of a lot of uh, um, uh, the MLB has a lot of international um, players that you know they rely on the MLB to get them in the country, and you know they send money back, and they're just so stretched financially in a way that. Um, NFL players are not. I, I was just kind of wondering, like, you know, I, I like I, I saw the um, when they when they signed the last CBA, the NFL did, um, like that half of the players didn't even. It was like very close, and a lot of them didn't even vote on it. And you know, I, I, and it, it doesn't seem like there's that culture in the NL, MLB. And I, I was kind of wondering why that is, and and what kind of differences in structure there are. I I think one one piece of this is the lifespan. The career yeah. lifespan of a of a football player is dramatically shorter than a baseball player, and yep. and so I think a lot of times players that are voting right now are probably 
some of them could be on their last game and are never going to play again and have the, the mindset of what do I care? I'm voting on this because for a kid who's in high school right now. And then you see the solidarity. How many, how many MLB players do you see tweeting out about complaining about their player association or tweeting out this? And I can't, I didn't even get to read this. Why are we doing this? You know, and then you don't see any baseball players doing that. And there seems to be a more united front to let, your representatives speak for the union and speak on the CBA versus having multiple NFL players trying to speak their mind and get their piece out there. And so, I mean, there's, there's a ton of factors we could, I'd have to get Jason from over the cap involved on this. And there's, we could talk probably two hours on this and it's a great question, but it is clear as day that the, the NFL PA is probably the work, the, the least powerful players association among the, the, the power sports. Yeah. I, you know, the other thing, and I, that, that was, that was what my answer was going to be to cap is just the, the, just the, the differences in the two sports altogether with the, not just the lifespan of a player, but the actual physicality involved with football. Like there's an element of that where it's just, it's a, it's a much more dangerous sport that factors in somehow. I also feel like, and you would know this way better than I would, this is just my gut feel is that, the the rank and file in the NFL compared to the big, big heavy hitters in terms of salary, that there's just a bigger disparity in the NFL in terms of the sheer number of rank and file. Like there's to me it feels like there's just a bigger, lower and lower middle class of player making less money than the elite player than in baseball where I mean there's there's obviously tiers of players, but it's a little more blended, you know, where it's it's not this it's not this massive drop off like the you know it feels like football feels like a sport where there's like a there's really the the way the salary cap has affected thing is there's been an elimination of the middle class kind of thing i think we see it on the texans i mean the texans just dishing out one-year contracts to a bunch of guys is it that's exactly right like the things that they do that they thought like the like the, the the rookie wage scale they thought would help bring the middle class back into the NFL and all it did was just eliminate it further. It seems yep. like every, everything that they try to do to accomplish ends up having the opposite effect. So yeah. I don't know if that's a leadership issue with Demarius Smith or, you know, if it's a, you know, the lawyers who's looking at the paperwork and, and doing, doing the thought process. But Elias, that's a great question. I, I wish I had a better answer for you. Um, you know, I just, I don't have, enough knowledge to speak at depth on it beyond just the external factors of what kind of what we've already mentioned. Do you have anything else for us, man? No, I thought, no, I thought those were great answers. I, 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 um, I didn't really, I, I knew that uh, career length had something to do with it. I just, I, I guess I didn't figure how present that is in, in most players' minds, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate, uh, appreciate your answer. All right. Thanks for hanging on, right. man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. Yep. All right. Sean, you got a couple more minutes? Sure. All yep. right. We got one more question on here. here. Freddie. Freddie. Go ahead and take yourself off mute, buddy. There you are. Uh, what's going on? Uh, so, um, uh, the second round pick, do we have the 35th pick or the 37th pick? Because I'm seeing two of both things. Well, let me go. 
I was hearing Should we be. have we might have the thirty seventh pick due to a strength of schedule. We have the Houston has picked thirty seven. Thirty seven, okay. And also with the number three pick, can we see and and this is kind of looking into the future. Mm-hmm. Uh Justin Reed might be leaving. Can we see maybe at the three pick uh drafting his replacement or going the offensive route and building around Mills with maybe a tackle or a guard in there? I think at this point, this depending on how free agency goes, and I, I don't expect that Casario to have any huge first-wave signings. I think we're going to see a lot of what we saw last year. He's got a lot oh. of roster spots to fill. I think at this point in the draft, you could almost go at any position and, and be – you know, just literally best player available, and and it would be fine. I mean, there's you're not going to be able to cover this roster with this draft and this free agency class. It's going to take another two or three years with a full draft slate. But it, it easily interior on the offensive line is a huge need. Safety is going to be a huge need because after this year, with by all accounts, Justin Reed is gone. He is not coming back. That leaves you Eric Murray, who could potentially be a cap casualty. And then after that, it's Jonathan Owens and and whoever else. And so there's a huge need there. And drafting, whether it's in you know the first round with Hamilton or second or third round with one of those two third-round picks, easily, yeah, if there's a safety there, and I haven't dug into the draft class one single bit, if if the safety is there and that's the pick that's going to go, then by all means, yes. I mean, this like I said, this team has so many, so many needs that there's a – a bevy of different ways they could go about this. Yeah, my, my feeling on it is just with that third overall pick, just don't draft a quarterback, don't draft a running back. Anything else, if you feel like it's worth taking there, and I know you know I've looked at all the mock drafts, and John Harris's Harris 100 is like the Bible for me with this stuff because I just respect his opinion and the work he puts in so much. Um, it doesn't appear like there's a Jamar Chase type wide receiver in this draft, so I don't. Like, I think ultimately it's either going to be an offensive lineman or anything on the defensive side of the ball, whether one of the two edge rushers fall there. For me, it would be Kyle Hamilton that I would take with that third overall pick. And I don't even look at him when you say, like, replacement for Justin Reed. Um, Like, Kyle Hamilton, and I'm somewhat biased. I mean, I'm a Notre Dame guy. I watched every (laughs) one of his snaps he ever played. But he's – He's and John Harris will tell you that John Harris has him number one in the Harris 100. He Johnny thinks he's the most talented player coming into the NFL. And the key thing with Hamilton is don't label him. You know what I mean? Like don't don't look at it like he's a safety. Like oh, well, why are you drafting a safety with third overall he's pick? He's very big. He's big he, for a safety. He's, he's big. He's rangy. He can play up near the line of scrimmage. He can play center field. He's just a playmaker. Like he's a game changer. So don't get like don't get caught up in. Oh, he's a safety. Why are we taking a safety with the third overall pick? I would take Kyle Hamilton with that pick and not look back. That, he's that more. Would, my... would you say he's more like a hybrid player? Uh, yeah. Like, well, I don't I mean I don't think he's like I don't. I, he could probably play corner if you wanted him to. You know what I mean? I think like, he's he could... more of the. He's, he can play center field. He can play in the box, and he can play linebacker, a dime linebacker position. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is. He is. He is long. He's rangy. He's fast. I'm telling you, like, go find. Dude, go find the the highlights of the Florida State game, the first game of the year this year. He had two interceptions in that game. He has an interception in that game where he starts off on the right hash and runs all the way across 
the field. Like he's reading the quarterback's eyes. He literally on a dead sprint runs all the way to the left sideline and cuts in front of a receiver and taps both feet down and makes an interception. Like it's, I mean, I can't do it justice just by describing it on this call. It's, I mean, you just like go find Kyle Hamilton's mixtape. You know what I mean? Like he's, he is, he is something else, man. So I would, I would take him, but I'm with you cap. Like I, there's, you know, these GMs, they always say, well, we take best player available and you feel like it's lip service. Like they look at their needs. I think a lot of them do. Um, the Texans need everything. I just don't want them to take a quarterback. Cause I don't think one of these quarterbacks is worth taking with the third pick. And I don't want him to take a running back. Cause I feel like it's malpractice, especially for a bad team to take a running back with a high pick like that. You know, no, the yeah. Giants are finding that out. With yeah, Saquon. No. You draft Saquon Barkley with a second overall pick. And even if the Giants, even if the Giants rebuild had been on a successful trajectory, you're talking about him not playing meaningful in meaningful games till he's got four years worth of tread on the tire. Yeah, you just don't invest that heavily in a in a running back, both on draft and and contract. And right, a perfect example of that is the fact that Scott Fitterer in Carolina literally had to make a statement yesterday that tra- uh, Christian McCaffrey is not on the trade block, and he hasn't even got into the to the new years of his extension. Yeah. That huge extension. So yeah. the fact that he's having to see that is just just mind blowing to me. And so it's very instructive. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it you just draft a running back every two years out of the third or second, third, fourth round, and and yeah. and run them down and move on. I hate to say it that way, but that's Agreed. just it's just the way it is. So yeah. All right. Well, could, we're go ahead. Could What's we up? expect to see a running back taken later on in the draft? Oh, perhaps? Uh, they'll probably. I wouldn't be surprised to see two running backs taken. I. I this, I mean, Burkhead is going to be RB3 next year. Scotty Phillips is still on the roster for next year. He may not even make the 53-man roster. So, and let, you know, he may sign another, you know, another free agent and, and running back, but, you know, the hit the hit rate on that is, is near zero. So, at this point, I would expect one of those two third-rounders and maybe the second-rounder, being a running back and possibly another running back in this, you know, on day three, that's going to be a special teamers that'll work his way up the, the running back depth. And then you're probably going to see another running back or two on the undrafted class. I mean, I, this, the, the running back position needs an influx of youth and juice because the, the old man crew that they trotted out this year just is not cutting in. I mean, I understand the scheme, the offensive line was not blocking well, but when you see, other teams just bring in like Detroit just brings in Craig Reynolds. Who's been on like nine rosters and he comes out and bam, 130 yards, yards. 130 yards, his first game out. And Tennessee with Foreman. Exactly. You know, Dontrell Hillard and and Dante Foreman are just running left and right. So, I mean, the team just needs youth back there at, at the end of the day. That's, that's what it needs. And, and Burkhead's going to be your running back coach while who, somebody who plays, as well and then beyond that yeah. just give me a bunch of 22 year olds and oh, go yeah. at it yeah absolutely all right freddie you got anything else buddy no thank you thank you very much for letting me speak yep have a good night all right all right so we're right at an hour we'll call it a night sean i appreciate the time of course, as always man is, hopefully you get some some rest and uh hopefully we'll get some news this week from the Texans on where we're headed. We will, we're going to call this the, uh, the closing episode of the regular season series. So I'm going to take a little break after this. We'll probably take about a two or two or three week break as I do some, uh, 
dive into some free agency research, and then we'll have a couple, couple three uh, free agency type episodes probably in February leading up to the new league year, which I think is March 17th. And then we'll do some uh, draft episodes after that. So you're not going to, you're not going to have an emergency episode if David Cully gets fired. I, I very well might. I may just yeah. like oh, there the, the Twitter spaces allows eight speakers at once. I may just, yeah. just allow seven people, just everybody just talk at once. And Round just see table. What, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we may we may do one next week if if something happens with Coley on. Hopefully yeah. they hopefully they don't do a, a Friday a Friday uh, trash dump. But um, we were joking about that. We were joking about that in our show meeting today after the show. We're like, you know, this thing's coming down at two o'clock on Friday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. But yeah, we. I mean, I, I'm going to take a little break and uh, and uh, kind of re- and revitalize and charge some batteries, and we'll get back going on this. And uh, I appreciate everybody that's been listening in week on, week out. You know, it was really fun to do this. I'm really enjoying this format, and we'll definitely keep it going throughout the year. And, uh, Sean, get some rest, buddy. We'll uh, be listening in the morning and see what's going on. Bright and early, man. We'll keep it popping. It's going to be uh, – we, we live in – we may you live in interesting times, as they say. We live in very, very interesting times right now in, uh, in Houston. There's no doubt about that. Yes, sir. All right. Well, thanks for the time, and uh, – Everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll with that we'll shut it down. I'll get this uh, jammed over to the to the recorded version and get it up on the podcast for folks who couldn't listen in. So, everyone have a good, safe night, and we'll close it down after that. Thank you, sir. See ya. All right.